and welcome to the Disability Education and Society podcast. This is a podcast for collective learning and unlearning in the struggle for intersectional liberation. We focus on educational realms expanding to other societal areas. We share our stories as academics as well as those of our featured guests, including disability activists involved with multifaceted dimensions of systems equity, self-determination efforts, anti-ableist, and anti-racist liberation. Join us as co-conspirators. Today's episode features Dr. Annette Bagger. Dr. Bagger is an associate professor at Orbro University in Sweden. She is a member in the scientific committee of the Nordic Special Needs Education and Mathematics Network and in the New Assessment Frontiers Project. Dr. Bagger is involved in several international projects and is a co-leader at international conferences in mathematics education. Dr. Bagger's research interest concerns how equity and inclusion is conditioned and the care of ethics in mathematics assessment. Her research focuses mainly on the sociology of education and sociopolitical aspects of assessment in mathematics. Well, we're thrilled to welcome Dr. Bagger to our disability education and society podcast and so we're gonna have some questions for dr bagger and it's gonna surround the theme of caring and mathematics education so we would like to start the conversation by having you share a personal story related to disability yeah thank you and i'm so happy to be here so thank you so much for that and inviting me it's a really interesting project you have with this pod. Um, well, um, I have kind of many uh, personal stories, but I think the one closest to me in personal terms is, of course, that uh, my sister and the family was involved in a car accident when I grew up. So there were constant challenges throughout the education and schooling for my sister who had brain damage. And during this uh, car crash, so I really got to to see that as an older sister, then wanting to care for my younger sister and so on, and to kind of yeah support and and also challenge, of course, all the time her <laughs> because the parents were, I think, too yeah you know they want to make things smooth for their children especially if they are hurt somehow. So that's totally understandable. So what what was the age that this happened? I think I was only like very young. So I was like five or six years old. We often talk about these things, I think, in inclusive education, like where did your interest start or why do you want to work with this and so on. So I, I realized that already then I, I had some kind of made some solidarity decision that if you can help, you, you should. You have the, the duty to do so and you, always to help those who cannot speak for themselves or, uh, or so, uh, if, if you can. So that was a kind of early decision for me. And also that adults can need help, like parents. So that's how... When you were growing up, you had an interest in disability, and is is that the path you yeah. decided to take once yeah. you got into college? <laughs> well, I didn't know uh, that I wanted to do that choice, of course, when I was five years old, um, but 
but I always uh, like to explore knowledge and to learn and to be challenged and challenge other others. So it actually I didn't thought to think about being a teacher first. So that only happened by accident in a way because I I wanted to take a year off and to work for a bit. So I tried to work at a school and I found it fantastic to be with the children and to all kinds of children and uh, students. And so that's what happened. And then I always found myself in situations where I wanted to do more, know more, be able to do a better work as a teacher and have more knowledge. And so that's then suddenly I had to <laughs> to do the PhD, you know, and continue to learn. And I still have a lot to learn. So somewhere along the way, and that decision just grew. That story does resonate, I think, a lot as I'm a teacher educator and you you are a teacher educator too, that mm. many of our candidates who pursue teaching degree, teaching credentials, they they have stories about family members and so yeah very often and often actually we have that question in courses since we that i have um, taught in like wh where did your interest start and it's often very often a personal story it's uh, some a uh, friend in school it's uh, yeah siblings or something else along the way so very often there are very personal stories when we asked special education teachers or inclusive education teachers. That's my experience. When when you have an experience like that, the perception tends to be that the person with disabilities uh, will always have to be taken care of. And in English, there is that expression of the caregiver. The caregiver is implicitly above in terms of the relationship. There is a vertical mm -hmm. relationship, the caregiver and the person receiving the care. And I think what, what it does, by talking that way, we, we eliminate the sense of reciprocity. For instance, just by living with somebody, the caregiver can also receive a lot of care in terms of the caring manifestations of the, the person receiving the care or the thankfulness or the appreciation of that experience. I mean, that, that just as an example, of the many ways in which the relationship is probably richer than that vertical idea that we take for granted when it comes to, to care. I'm trying to bring that into classroom relationships. And mm -hmm. I would like to ask you, what, what are the implications of thinking of caring for, for teachers and how one can approach caring so that it, it doesn't become this vertical perpetuity mm. and focusing always in the needs, quote unquote, of the person with disabilities, because that that also um, centers on deficits and forgets mm. about assets and all the, the different things that these people with disabilities may be giving as they are cared and having a, a more complex kind of relationship. Um, mm. I just want to hear your thoughts about that that kind of um, relational complexity? Mm -hmm. I think it's a really good question. And I've also thought about that quite a lot because when we talk about power relations, for example, thinking of Foucault in this case, 
as I am very often doing, what if we could think about care in a similar way? They are more of a of a kind of relation between, and maybe not even between individuals. But if you, if if I instead, as a teacher, think about the care in kind in in the form of a dynamic um, group dynamic thing, um, and that we care for the learning environment or for um, what we as the community learn together and so on, then something else happens. Instead of me caring for for this other person, which of course is not it's not something um, negative with that, but we are all different in a way. If we thought, think about diversity instead, the one who is the caregiver, because it, you have all these words connected to care, caregiver, caretaker, and then we're rather talking about something else. Than this learning community where something happens that is relational work, actually much more than um, supporting individuals in a way. So I'm glad that you asked the question. It's not one easily answered. It's interesting because the the word power is interesting. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of the dichotomy of control versus care, mm -hmm. um, because some people think that care involves control for instance some folks talk about uh, classroom management um, yeah. as a fundamental aspect of learning and sometimes taking over or or you know even preempting the teaching learning component mm. of, of things yeah um, so i think power is is a, is a great element to make sure that that care does not really become an issue of control mm, um, yeah uh, and not it, it has something more of a a facilitative um mm. kind of uh, authority relationship or some other kind of relationship that's really fostering learning and mm. co-learning as opposed to controlling and management managing and imposing uh, conditions that are supposed to be conducive for learning, um, yeah. but are unidirectional. You know, there is the, the the teacher and the schoolmaster and whatever. They are all determining things mm. for the children and for the students, whatever age they are. So I think it's it's a very thick and interesting um, kind of conversation. Now, now, in terms of ethics of care, mm. what would you say ethically? the conversation has in terms of leaving aside your sense of power and, and really being conscious about not using it to control, but using it to care in a much more effective fashion, in a more relational way. I think we, I just want to go back to the previous question a bit, because we have talked about communal care, I think, at times, and what, what happens when we think about it like that, or if it's rather, of, care is a, a relation rather than an action, and so on. Um, but the ethics of care, we have to recognize that, well, we, we all need very different things. What is a support for me is not the support for you, and so on. So if we are going to be have some kind of ethics involved in this caring. Uh, I don't know if we can call it actions or or so, but um, 
we also need to understand the person in front of us and what we have between us. We all know this story about in mathematics, I had a teacher and he or she, I, I couldn't do any maths. It was hard with that teacher. Then the teacher was changed or somehow I was older and suddenly this interest and um, I felt like mathematics was fun and interesting and something I want to do. And we can't explain why and when these things happen. And so if we look from outside on these two situations, it might be that in the first situation, someone would objectively say that the student got a lot of care for from the teacher. Maybe he, he or she got a lot of support and, you know, he struggled in mathematics. But if we were to really ask the student and the teacher, something else is going on. And the same then with, with the later example where the teacher might or might not be very aware of what he or she wants to do, support and sustain interest and 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 all those things for the student in mathematics. What, what I'm hearing from you is is that there is a, a sort of assessment that comes from the receiver of care so that mm. they can really say, I'm really being cared in a way that respects my personhood or mm. I've been pushed around even though they are caring for me. Yeah. Um, they are doing it in such a way that I feel imprisoned. Uh, I, I can relate mm. to that because I went mm. to a boarding school for the blind. Yeah. And I really appreciate what I learned there, but I didn't like the fact that I mm. was being locked mm. to learn. Um, mm. I wanted to be with my family. I wanted to be free. Mm. And I really resented the imprisonment, um, yeah. the institutionalization of boarding structures. And now they, mm. they call them residential schools to euphemize mm. the fact that you're being locked, that you're yeah. being, because you're being taken care of, you, you, mm. it's justified um, to have you imprisoned, mm. to have you institutionalized yeah. for that purpose. But I, I don't want to lose the word communal that you brought, mm. yeah, yeah, it's really... brought into the conversation because, uh, you know, you're in Sweden and you guys are famous for being much more communal <laughs> than this side of the Atlantic. We, we, yeah. Especially when we talk about ethics, people go to the individual dimension of things. For some mm. reason, the word ethics carries with it a, a sort of an individualistic desideratum, you know, the set of principles that an individual mm. um, follows, uh, the ethics for the teacher and the ethics for the social worker and the ethics for the attorney and that kind of stuff um, as an ideal. Um, but the, the communal aspect of ethics, uh, at least I haven't seen that emphasized enough, uh, you know, based on, on your uh, experiences with, with the communal, how do you think one can enact that type of, you know, communal ethos in classroom mm -hmm. settings so that it really becomes something dynamic and, mm -hmm. um, you know, community building in, yeah. in its, in its uh, you know, the way, the way teachers do it and the way students live it. Um, how would you say that can happen? Well, I'm actually trying to find out. So I, I don't have the answer yet. But, um, well, 
yes, to reflect on that because I know a few teachers that I visit more often, and um, some of them are really, really good at this. They they have a way of nurturing and facilitating some kind of what I would like to label as communal care in mathematics, in which it's a shared kind of a shared thing to do mathematics and regardless of level of knowledge, disability or or whatever, the mood for today, maybe even, uh, we are all there there together and to kind of do the mathematics because it's not there until we create it in a way together. So also the, shield, the students pick up on this and they also do that to each other, with each other and together. Maybe it's not right to call it care, but it for me, it sounds, it looks really caring what they do. And what I also want to mention is that if we are to have some kind of communal care, I think it helps to have this more relational understanding of what care is, that it's not an action that I give to you. It's rather something in between us. And it will change with the individuals who are so who have this uh, relation, like with these two teachers situation I described earlier. And so yeah, I can really see that in some classrooms. And we try to actually understand me and a colleague what what is happening, what is going on, what are the teachers doing when they face the what we call ethical dilemmas where things cannot easily, there are no answers, and it's really in the moment that things happen. So what can or do they think they could or should have done? So we we have these kind of explorative uh, discussions together. And so then it's quite understandable that it's these things are not easily formulated into a policy for a nation, for, for a country or for <laughs> for a curricula. It's something also that needs to be lived, understood, and felt, and how it changes many, all the time. Yeah. How many of those ethical dilemmas are connected to disability that you would say, oh, I have a non-verbal, non-speaking student yeah. in my classroom, and I need to mm. get them uh, to talk and explain the mathematics we're doing. And, you know, have you found yeah. that some of those ethical dilemmas that are connected to disability maybe maybe you can give us some examples yeah. of those? some of some of them are uh, many of them or most of them are not uh, the teachers don't talk about disabilities actually uh, they have quite young children in this uh, research uh, project we have ongoing so maybe we won't know at this young age also, that might be a part of it, but I think this has more to do with the general approach that the teacher teachers have towards their students and what teaching is in mathematics at that school that I'm thinking about right now. And they have, well, it could almost be the opposite. So who is, in a way, the problem? That's uh, awful to say, but what I who, who and what is the problem? That could very well be the students who, this is an example, when they struggle to communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. Because they don't share um, maybe ways of, of, of expressing themselves. And, right. and maybe one kid is very um, physical and the other one is very um, 
elaborate with the words and they don't match. So the teacher don't tend to focus then on the student with maybe who needs support for the language. Of course, that's also important to figure out what is needed for the student to have the equity in the classroom, to be able to participate in everything. But the teachers often tend to focus on this relation, the relation between the two. So what is needed for these two students to be able to work together? Because they often work together in mathematics. Well, I have to add maybe manipulatives so that they can mediate their uh, discussion better because one of them can't handle the symbols maybe or uh, so it's more about uh, what's between the students right then in those situations than what is going on for one of them it's interesting that you frame this in terms of caring because a lot of yeah. people here would probably say well it's this is a pedagogical Mm -hmm. um, a didactics situation. Mm -hmm. And I think keeping it too much in the didactics pedagogical level moves away from the affective aspects mm -hmm. of caring. Because if you care, then your pedagogy will also have other components that are not mm -hmm. rationalistic, that are not mm -hmm. so quote unquote objective, but maybe uh, are more effective because the, the students perceive the caring mm. presence of the teacher facilitating the connection and, and helping to match what could be probably unmatchable from the standpoint of pure pedagogy or mm. pure mm. Um, pure didactics, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and what also happens is that students pick up on this uh, way of approaching um, collaboration for example then so when they get older they will themselves try to support each other and with this said support or care could be from both ways so it doesn't need to be um when you say it's it's this hier hierarchical um, relation it, it it could go both ways and it could both go any way um it could also be this really talented student in mathematics who have challenges with maybe um, sharing thoughts, um, but is really good in mathematics. And then a really creative other student who, who kind of can play more or better and can somehow help or facilitate this putting things to words while they collaborate because he, he or she is really good at this social small talk thing. So I don't know in that situation who cares for who. Is it the one with the, the better or higher mathematical knowledge or is it the one who is really talented in, in, in games or to play or to... Yeah, and they're yeah, probably carrying, carrying mm. uh, each other um, yeah, in a complementary fashion so that there are almost like like facets mm. in which mm. one is stronger and the other is, is weaker and they are yeah. balancing each other, that sort of approach. Um, I'm going to let Paolo ask um, the next set of questions uh, mm -hmm. and, and frame his, his portion there. Thanks. Well, Thank I, I find this conversation to be so fascinating. I I'm, I'm feel like mm -hmm. I'm taking the role of a podcaster, not who's producing the podcast, but who's listening. <laughs> 
and learning so much and thinking about those who will be engaging with the podcast, how much they are going to be getting out of the conversation. Uh, because as someone who listens to a lot of podcasts myself, I know that this is not information we ever get. Uh, mm. This is new. I, I feel like the three of us have worked together along with yeah. you. So for a few years, and, and we have a lot mm. of conversations. This is not, I don't think, one of the conversations we've had. So it's like brand no. new to me. Uh, mm. And and I, I, I am so, again, just thrilled that people who will be engaging with the podcast will be privilege in many ways to the conversation <laughs> as I am uh, to mm. listen to the both of you have the conversation. I, I want to uh, briefly kind of go back. I mean, there's so many things that I was like, okay, there, we can pick <laughs> up on. I think one of the things mm. that I, I think I will pick up on and, and, and highlight is is my role as a parent. And mm. uh, you, you probably noticed some of the noises here in, in my home today as my son who is 19, he's getting ready to go to school. And I, I feel like in taking this back, I know we talked a lot about mm. the communal level to maybe an individual level as well, as we, as, as we talked about this vertical alignment of care mm. and, and this mm. world power and the world maybe of a parent too. And, and this could also be thought of as a, as a teacher who has mm. more power, if you will, and has this, I feel like for me, I, I've just been challenge about like what does it mean for yeah. for me to be a caretaker of someone mm -hmm. with a disability uh, mm -hmm. because I feel like I'm still in that mode of as Alexis talks about I, I, I don't feel like my son is in a situation where he has the freedom to do mm -hmm. what he likes mm -hmm. because of my the impositions that I, I put on the the demands that I have the the way that uh, I treat him and so that I think that there's so many things that I'm trying to mm. uh, battle if you will like trying to shed yeah. and it's so complex it's, it's so mm. hard uh, that's why I feel like this conversation is, is like for me it's very personal like the mm. what you yeah. and Alexis are talking about it's like this mm. idea of care and caring mm. uh, for me is is about like how do I shift uh, my my approaches my thinking uh, mm. about care and caring um, and now you mentioned uh, you know, the problem question, and, and it reminded me of a famous Black scholar here in the United States who poses a question, uh, and mm. this is W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, how does it feel to be a problem? Mm, uh, and, yeah. and this is like, in my connection that I made to the conversation for me as a parent, I know that my son has this question mm. that mm -hmm. he asks, you know, I'm asking, but he knows that that I often will pose him as a problem which mm, is uh mm. you know it, it, it's not a great feeling I know uh mm. but I, I feel like that's a lot of people who are marginalized a lot of people with disabilities feel like that mm. they, they are the problem and so yeah. that's a long way around to to ask you a question um mm. which uh which is like going back to the classroom then how do we think about and you touched on this already to a lot a large extent about students who are in an inclusive setting and, and we're not mm -hmm. talking about students with disabilities but students who are there already so the the so-called mm -hmm. mainstream students um, mm -hmm. how, how do you think about this idea of care and caring in, in that context in an inclusive classroom so that's that might also mean different things for us, as, as I realize. What kind of classroom do you see before you then? Is it a classroom with 
all kinds of students uh, with and without disabilities? Is that an inclusive classroom? Or do you more refer to the, the, the teaching approach being inclusive? That's an interesting question, Annette. Yeah. Because the policy uh, aspect matters in some yeah. Context inclusivity tends to be focused on having all the students in the same classroom. Mm, yeah, um, and in other contexts, the emphasis is is placed on what they call individualized mm. um, aspects of education, which entails quite often that students with disabilities will be secluded mm. in separate classrooms, and yeah. so you have some kind of intermediate mechanisms where they are in the same classroom, but they get different teachers who are really working in parallel, but without touching each other. It's like, you know, the curriculum for the, the students with disabilities is going to be quite different to the curriculum that the mainstream student is getting, especially when yeah. it comes to mathematics. In terms of caring, it sounds like you're saying that it matters if you're thinking of the teacher as the uh, orchestra director, so to speak, of mm -hmm. how caring happens in whatever kind of classroom you have structure. Is that what you're trying to suggest here? No, I think I, I, I maybe I did suggest something, but without knowing. <laughs> but um, like when we talk about in Sweden, if we would think about just a regular classroom, yeah, I would expect there to be very different kinds of students in the classroom with and without disabilities. Also students maybe studying in another curricula like, like the adapted compulsory school for the, that's the school form for students with intellectual disabilities. So they could also be in this inclusive classroom. We have a debate in Sweden also, there are more and more segregated yeah, solutions and more special schools are being created. So we're kind of doing the opposite as many other um, countries are doing when you say that we might be good at this communal uh, care thing. So there has been some kind of division uh, in regards to how students are thought about in, in policy and talked about, I think. But Back to your question also, Paolo, I think um, you asked what, how could the teacher approach this inclusive classroom? And then I understand you as there's a variety of students in there all learning maths with different needs. Is that what you kind of mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking again yeah. from an uh, approach of a, as a teacher educator and, and yeah. uh, someone who is in my course and I, I ask them to hey, engage mm. with the podcast. And they were like, okay, so you know, what would that mm. mean? Like yeah. uh, Monday morning, I go into the classroom. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of great ideas. What are something that I can do uh, that mm. can start this this kind of shift of, of mm. this care and caring and, and a lot of the mm. great things that you all have been discussing so far? Yeah, I think one thing is to pay attention. Of course, to have a good plan what we're going to do today, whether it's uh, geometry or whatever, um, but still be very attentive uh, towards the students' uh, expressions. It could be, and then we all know that if you have 25 students in a classroom, maybe you're the only teacher. It helps if you have also prepared for this 
diverse classroom in a way that it, there are several ways to take on the tasks, not only one way to think or to do things and to actually know your students quite well. Because teachers who know their students and who know mathematics very well, they will also be able to get to learn during the lesson because we all have to keep understanding what is going on. It will change. Suddenly someone will be tired one day or someone, I don't know, someone is really interested in the new task I present and engages very vividly. And that could actually be something that I didn't expect. So what do I then do? How, how can I make use of that for the student? So to kind of be present and to not decide too much in beforehand, but still know what you want them to learn or to be curious of during the lesson. But I mean, we have so many different students' ways of learning in a classroom. And every day is a new day. So even though I know the students, something might have happened in the morning, you know. So that is also part of caring, I think, to care for more. And, you know, we have all, I've talked about Anne Watson's book. I think it's uh, excellent and really interesting, uh, this care for the learning in mathematics. It means that you both have to care for the learner and you also have to care for the mathematics. It, it means that you have to also care for the ideas, the ideas in mathematics and, and also care for the for the person and their individual lives. Maybe they had a parent this morning that was tired and it affected the day. So, and that happens because we all have lives and students are no exceptions, of course. I actually think we just have to keep being present in the teaching, aware and mindful. I like what you shared a little bit earlier today about this example where you said there's a student that is getting the math really fast. And then there's a student who has this interest in video games. I, I think that was what you yeah, said. Yeah, something, right? yeah. And, and so if you can say a little bit more about that example in, in terms of mm -hmm. like care and caring, like, because I think that's a situation that happens a lot in classrooms where yeah, yeah. teachers might know it as well. I, I have all these levels of math, mm -hmm. right? And, mm -hmm. and so again, I think in that context, you were talking about this hierarchical mm -hmm. kind of vertical notion of caring. Mm. And so if you can say more about that, I think that would be awesome to, yeah. to hear. Well, I think in regards of communal caring, taking that example as, as a kind of starting point, it's also really valuable when the students, then you also foster the, how do we learn together? What is it to do mathematics? So think about that. What do you want them to generate or create? Because they are helping each other to become learners, all the children, all, all the students in a classroom. So are they competing with each other to be quickest or fastest? Or do they actually um, appreciate the slower pace and can can wait for, for their friend who needs more time to think? I think it's about also opening up for that amongst students in the classroom I think about, they they actually say that to each other also, the students can tell each other, they try to help each other. Probably if we are going to solve a problem together and you have some ideas, but maybe you can't put words to them, then I will try to help you to express your idea, although it's not my idea. 
just to understand how you're thinking. It's not always about deliver the answer or to have the best idea that holds and so on. It's also about uh, learning how to listen and to allow for this uh, multitudinous classroom where there are many different ideas. Some of them will not work, but we, we're like positive. We want to try them out. I'm eager to try it out. Although I have experience that my friend here might not have an idea that will work. I'm still eager to to try that out because it's interesting in itself. And then power for learning happens. And that is to care about the ideas, even if they are not like high level mathematics or advanced or even right. It's to be willing to kind of explore mathematics together and to understand other people's thinking, which is good to know in life, actually to try to be interested in how other people reflect or solve problems. Yeah, I love that idea we shared about care of, about other people's ideas. I Again, mm. I often don't hear that. I think it's so great to frame it that way. Like I mm. care about how you're thinking. It might not be the fastest way, which we tend no. to value, right? In, in, our, in our culture, like what is the quickest, mm. most efficient way to to solve the problem? But it's, again, it gets to this heart of what we've been discussing about yeah. care and caring is like, I, I care about you. I care about your mm. ideas, mm. Um, which, yeah, it, it gives a, a very different dynamic to the class. Yeah, for sure. And also then we care about the mathematics. So that will... Of course, this is also about learning more about mathematics. So why does or does not this idea work with what kind of mathematics? So these two, they are good together. The care for the learner and the care for the mathematics together. That's powerful, I think. And that contributes to the communal learning approach. Yeah, because we often think about mathematics as a tool, as just a tool, right? To, mm, to yeah. get whatever you need, the calculation you need. And that's kind mm. of a very common way that most people think about mathematics but again we don't think about yeah. the care of the mathematics yeah I, i'm just thinking about for for teachers who, who are teaching to think about it in, in that yeah. way and then also you know the student who gets a bit hurt along the way by the national assessments which i study or by always understanding that well someone else always has the right answer i seldom have that but to them be appreciated anyway and be respected as someone who engages in mathematics. And of course, everyone learns. Then it's not always sunshine, of course, in a classroom and they get frustrated on each other. Also in this classroom I talk about and with this teacher most closely, she is also struggling at times with what, what did I do there? And did I do the right thing? And well, I have tried now for three months and it's nothing happens and, you know, all that. But I think what is valuable is that she is really, if we are about to use the concept of care now, she's really caring deeply for the mathematics uh, in the way that she tries to solve the riddle all the time. What kind of mathematics did happen and why or why not? She engages in these ethical dilemmas uh, while thinking about mathematics and what mathematics is doing to or for students. Hi there. 
While we intend to make our podcast as accessible as possible, we ask those that have the financial means to support us by subscribing as a patron to our podcast for as little as $5 a month. To subscribe, go to our website, disabilityed.podbean.com. By subscribing as a patron, you will help ensure that we can continue to create and share new episodes while supporting other co-conspirators who face financial and health difficulties. For those with financial difficulties, please connect with us about obtaining a free copy of our books and or engaging in additional conversations with us. You can also support the show by hitting the follow button, share this podcast with Among Your Network, and leave us a comment and positive rating. Your support means so much. Since 2019, when uh, we started working with Annette, we, we've been talking about transgressiveness mm-hmm. and the significance of being transgressive. Uh, not all politics is transgressive. Mm-hmm. And of course, there is a lot of political stuff that's boring, part of the status quo. But my question, and this is my last question, but it's a thick one, is basically... How do you think one can move from an ethics of care into a politics of care, meaning that there can be some innovative, transgressive things happening in the classroom that are engendered by caring relationships? So it's Mm. not just an ethical thing, but it's also a transformational thing that Mm. becomes contagious and creates a movement and, and it has something of a political nature. Maybe you you could have some examples from the Swedish context that that you would like to share with us that are transgressive in nature, even if it's in small steps in in terms of bringing uh, the ethics of care into a more political um, Mm. manifestation. Well, that's a tricky question. I think it's really also challenging is the national assessment uh, system. Everyone needs to to do this uh, in certain ages in Sweden and teachers are obliged to to perform these tests with the students and they are not always an act of care so even when there's a lot of care going on in the everyday classroom maybe and something happens when these national assessment systems also impacts teachers' way of approaching or evaluating knowledge and talking about mathematics. And that is, I don't know if that is the politics you are talking about or thinking about right now, but I find it a bit hard. Maybe I'm very negative now, but it is a bit hard to do these kinds of actions that would go towards that. The, 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 word that's, the word that's coming to my mind right now is the word betrayal. Uh, imagining a student who's always experiencing a caring teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, uh, the national tests come in yeah. and the teacher gets transformed into this monster that's, <laughs> uh, you know, enacting the yeah. standardized test uh Aura, and do you think um, that students feel betrayed? And and sometimes it can be a, a counterproductive because their typical way of really performing well in mathematics is is turn around. You know, you're basically taking away the vitamin, <laughs> yeah, the the good things, and you and mm. you are expecting the student to perform better mm. for the sake of the test, yeah, uh, which is kind of a, a very counterintuitive way mm. of achieving 
good purpose that everybody is supposed to be trying to see. But the, I don't know, for some reason, the, the word betrayal mm. came to my mind um, yeah. in, in terms of caring relationships. Yeah, that's really interesting because if care is a relation, then of course there can be betrayal. So why not think about that for a bit? I know that in my studies, t students talk about the teachers as someone who has two faces in a way. So they, like you said, then first we have this teacher the other time of the year and he or she supports me all the time, cares for me and so on. But then something changes during the national assessment and then the teachers turns into a gatekeeper for something else, an evaluator. And someone who is supposed to also police the test taking, because of course you cannot co collaborate during the test. Well, there is one part test that is about communicating, but you get evaluated for your individual knowledge, of course. So it's always the individual's knowledge. And that kind of clashes towards this communal care idea of mm. mathematics, because then individuals have knowledge, not the community. Are there ethical dilemmas that um, some teachers encounter and they become transgressive uh, against the, the, the norms yeah. of the standardized test and they, they sort of start rocking the boat, so to speak? Mm, maybe not rock the boat. Well, I know there have been some, uh, but not in mathematics. <laughs> it was a municipality who tried to uh, not do the national tests in the... Yeah, gymnasium, it's the older students, like 16 to 18 years old, 19 years old. So they took away some of the national tests. And I don't know what happened and, and how that will turn out. But I, I'm really interested in hearing more about that. What happened? Because their students were, were very stressed out and they wanted to see what happens if we take it, these away, if we don't do them. Uh, but in the subject mathematics, the teachers did not want to. I don't know if if it was the teachers, if it was someone else, but they would still do the mathematics test. But then I have had a meeting with the school and they also talked about doing something else. I would think about their, what they talked about as a transgression practice because they wanted to replace the test somehow and to do them orally instead or to... Yeah, they, they thought about how they could kind of not hurt some of the children who they know will be a bit um, hurting from the, doing the tests. How could they do no harm? <laughs> that principle. I That's what I heard. How can we avoid to do harm? And what can we then refuse to do? And how can we stop doing this national assessment in the way that doesn't work for that particular student. So that is kind of a tra transgression practice then, but only for the national assessment. So as a system, it is there as in many countries. And it's just nothing that... I know that in the United States, there has been move, um, um, parents who also organize uh, and actually have lawyers. Uh, they can get advice from how to do if you don't want your child to participate in these tests. And I think in Sweden, that's um, the idea of something similar happening. I don't see it happening because we are kind of not questioning what the school is doing 
to our children in a way. We kind of trust the school to educate them and to take care of them. That kind of movement, I don't, I can't see it happening here. It would be really interesting if parents said something about this. But in terms of the everyday mathematics, I think teachers, I don't know if classroom can look very different, of course, as well. So I don't know what this act of policy would be. I try to imagine what it could be in the everyday classroom. Yeah, but I think these examples for for transgressing the um, national tests sounds like, like great examples of how caring can become political mm. um, and how what what's purely ethical acquires a more collective implication that, that really has tremendous power in terms of at least the potential mm. yeah. to be emancipatory, at least even if it's for a moment, even if it's for a short while as a way to, to show mm. the way uh, for something that can be different. So mm. thanks for sharing those examples. I think they're yeah. they're interesting as comparative exa- exercises. I also was just thinking about like how in the United States there are parent movements and they're mm. they're definitely influenced by political yeah. uh, ideologies about book banning. And so mm. a lot of schools here in the states are going through a series of book banning, uh, anything yeah. that they don't like with issues of uh, gender, right? issues mm. of race, issue of history. I mean, all these things are happening in the United States. And, and you could think mm. about that as like a political anti-liberatory yeah. sort of approach. And, and, and so it can, it can work in, in different ways, I think. And, and that mm. I think what we're talking about here is that there is a possibility that if this transgressor practices to also have this kind of collective movement of teachers mm. of parents of students mm. who, who want something different they don't yeah they 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 don't like these assessments they they don't like the ways that schools operate that that uh are, are very competitive i are hyper, mm. hyper competitive and so mm. i mean yeah i mean you have people who do like that but i think mm. there are many who f- feel unease with that and i think yeah. that that there's there are opportunities there as well mm. Yeah, and I know that Swedish students, older students, they have protested quite vividly at times uh, over the years about this testing industry or yeah, how stressed out they get by always having to achieve their best. Yeah, there are those discussions, but maybe not specifically in mathematics. Right, and that seems to be the uniqueness of mathematics, that there is... A lot of people who think that assessment and having quantified standards to measure what is learned, et cetera, is less touchable. Is There is something sacred about that mm. in mathematics as a discipline. There seems to be some, some kind of reverence for numbers and for statistics. Yeah. Do you think that there is something there that separates mathematics from the rest of disciplines? Yeah, I I I think it is, and we have research on this as well. Um, scholars who have written about that and the governing by numbers and so on, and what is going on with the students then who are not achieving as high as others in this kind of thinking, where competition and comparisons 
key, the key to happiness and choice and so on, both for individuals, for parents who will choose for their students and or children and and for schools who compete about the best students and so on. So the measurability of mathematics is, yeah, it comes with something specific, I think, when in terms of assessment, you get the numbers and you can compare. It almost sounds religious, like a worshipping of numbers. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> almost. The idolatry, of, idolatry of numbers. Yeah. I think we've taken a lot of Annette's time and that you, you have a lot going on in your life. So we are so thankful for you taking so much time out of your day to have this wonderful conversation with us and for the folks who engage in the podcast is there a way that folks could find out more about your work or they can reach out to you and connect with you directly yeah of course yeah of course and i can put my uh, do you have like uh, can we write it on the yeah. blog somewhere yeah we'll put it in the show so notes my contact contact information and my website at the university so we can put that in there so i you're welcome to get in touch, of course, and I'm so happy to have had yet another interesting and provoking talk with you, Paula and Alexis, because it's so rewarding to just reflect on these, these things that we kind of need to keep exploring. So I will listen to your podcast as well, of course, when it's out. Thank you so much. We're really honored for, for having you and um, learning with you about all these um components of your research and the sort of things that you are uh, tackling. Uh, so mm. thank you so much for sharing and helping us grow in our, our understanding of these things. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for engaging with the DES podcast. We post new episodes every few weeks. The DES podcast is made possible and sustainable in solidarity with you and those who generously volunteer their time to converse with us. We hope you join us on our next episode.